it's so good to be able to bring God's word this morning. Um, in a small town, uh, there's very few unfamiliar faces. Uh, it's a joy to be able to bring God's word this morning. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's word and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. Uh, in your pew Bible, I believe it is 1084. Acts chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 23. This is the word of the Lord. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we pray that as we look at your word uh, this morning, that you would grant to us eyes to see, hearts that have good soil to receive this word, that it may bear fruit in our lives. And Lord, um, by the power of your Spirit, to be filled with messages of hope that we can take to the world based upon what we learned from your word this morning as we are your ambassadors sent out into our mission fields everywhere. God, give us ears to hear. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, question for you this morning. How do you react when you receive difficult news from a friend? What is, what is your immediate response to threats? How do you respond to adversity? What is, what is your first response to these situations? That is the question we'll be considering this morning. What are our first responses? How have we been trained to respond? Or are we just responding as the natural man would? Do we, do we panic? Do we fear? Do we worry? Or do we trust, pray, and obey? I pray that, that we can ask ourselves these questions this morning and to see whether or not we find our answers to these questions to be biblical or not. What do we need to know and do in order to respond biblically? In order to understand the context of the passage we uh, just read from a moment ago, uh, we, we see a, a group of believers praying. We need to, to backtrack a little to see uh, what led these believers to pray in such a way. 
at verse 23, uh, where our reading began this morning, it mentions uh, when they were released, they went to their friends. Um, if you happen to be uh, following along in, in an NIV, uh, they took some interpretive liberty and, and filled in some of the blanks in here. Uh, the original text does not mention them by name, but that is precisely who, who they is referring to. And, and we know this simply by, by reading what happened in the previous chapters, which led to Peter and John uh, returning to their friends. So the first question we want to know is, is what are they being released from? Where, where are they returning from? Well, previously in chapter 3 of Acts, we learned that, that one of the things that God used that would accompany or, or point to the gospel was healings, signs, and, and wonders. These miraculous physical events would serve to point to the spiritual need for healing, and it would serve as an opportunity for the apostles to, to share the gospel, the good news of forgiveness of sins through faith in, in Christ alone. Luke records in Acts chapter 3 for us that Peter and John performed one of these miracles, namely the healing of a man who was lame from birth, couldn't walk from birth. And this healing, it astounded the people around them. They, they were amazed, and rightfully so. And it's understandable, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't you be astounded seeing this miraculous healing of someone who was lame from birth get up and, and leap for joy? And this is where our story begins, and, and where our, our main outline for this morning will take place. Following, following this initial event, where a man was healed, and he gets the attention of everyone around, both common people in the crowds, as well as uh, the religious leaders at the time. After this initial event, a, seri a series of consequences and responses will occur. And our goal will, will be to consider the following first responses that these people have, and to also ask ourselves, how will we respond in similar circumstances? First, we're going to look at um, how they respond to success, how the apostles responded to success and, and praise and attention. Secondly, we're going, to, we're going to consider those first responses to the gospel being heard. Thirdly, we're going to look at the responses to threats and adversity. And then finally, the threats to hearing bad news. I'm sorry, the, the responses. How do we respond to bad news? Well, let's look at this first point. What are the first responses going to be to success, to praise, or attention being given. How, how did the apostles respond, and how are we to respond to these things? As a result of this miraculous healing, we read in verse 11 of chapter 3 that, that while the man who was healed clung to, to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, they ran together to them into the portico called Solomon's. And, and here in a moment of, of excitement and, and joy and astonishment that, that brings attention to the apostles, there can be some potential temptations, right? No doubt that the people would look at, at these men, Peter and John, and think that they must be a big deal. These are, these are pretty special men. This attention from others could easily serve as an opportunity 
for, for pride, right? How, how will they respond? Will they develop pride and begin to think, you know, maybe I am a pretty, pretty special guy? Or will their response, will their initial first response be, be different? Well, let's take a look at how they did respond to this, this praise, this attention. Uh, I'm not going to read the entire response that Peter gives because of the length, um, but I'm going to read just a, a, a few statements that he gives that highlights how he responds. First, he says, why do you wonder at this? When, when they all came to him, the crowds came, they said, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? He also says, by faith in, in his name has made this man strong by uh, whom you see and know. And, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So you see the, the apostles' first response to, to praise and attention to, to, to a successful event, you know, the healing of this man, was not pride, but rather humility, integrity, and, and, and witness pointing to someone else, right? They, they said, listen, don't be confused. Don't be amazed as, at, at us as though that we did anything. Be amazed that God, the author of life, has made this man walk by faith in, in Jesus. But is, is that all of their response? Do they just end there? Are they just trying to, to set the record straight and be clear who gets the credit in this? Is, is that their only part of this response? Well, there is in fact more. And Peter seizes this opportunity, right? He, a miracle is performed, all these crowds gathered, and he seizes this opportunity uh, where he has the attention of them all, looking at them, and he begins to preach to the, the gospel to the crowds, pointing them to Jesus, calls them to respond. Remember, that, that, that was part of the reason why those miracles were performed. Those miracles were a means to another end. And that end was to testify to the gospel of Jesus. But what, what will their responses be to the gospel? Peter calls the people to repent, therefore, and, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. At times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. They're called to respond in faith and repentance. So, so how will they respond? That's, that's our second point this morning. What are, what are the first responses to the gospel, hearing the good news of Jesus? Peter spoke the message of salvation, of forgiveness of sins by faith in Jesus alone. So how, how will this message be responded to? Well, um, they, will, will they repent? Uh, will they uh, respond in a negative way? Let's, let's read at what those first responses were at the beginning. Of chapter 4, it says, As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, they came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. Here we see that, that one of the first responses to hearing the gospel was annoyance, disbelief, anger. 
We also see the reason why Peter and John were released to their friends. Remember our passage said that they were released and they returned to their friends. It's because they were first arrested for preaching the gospel. This is not a good first response to the gospel. They did not repent of their sin and, and turn to faith in Jesus. But we also hear of another response, the right response to the gospel. The response I, I pray we all make. Luke records that many of those who had heard the word believed. The right response to hearing the gospel is belief. A, a trusting face that Faith that turns away from sin in repentance and turns in faith towards Jesus for life, for forgiveness of sins. What will, what will our response be? What will your response be to the message? To turn from sin and place yourself at the mercy of Jesus to forgive you, to give you new life in Him? Will you deny your sin? Or will you continue believing, you know, I'm really not that bad. I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Or will you, in light of God's holiness and perfection, knowing that we will all have to give an account and stand before God, will you see that you've fallen short of His glory, that we truly deserve the wrath of God, and will you turn in faith to look to Him who took the wrath for us on the cross, and will you receive the mercy and the grace of God offered to you this day? What will your response be? Thankfully, Many of us here, just like in Acts, have believed the word that was preached from Peter. But perhaps some are here today, and you might just really be kind of annoyed. Perhaps you come to church regularly, seeing yourself as, yeah, I'm not really deserving the wrath of, of God, and thus not needing a Savior. Well, I pray that, that you would see His patience with you this, this morning, and His kindness that, that leads you to repentance, the only right response to the gospel. Well, there is a, there's another first response that we see in this, this narrative taking place, and that is, what will be their first response to threats and adversity? What, what, how are the, the apostles going to respond to threats and adversity? They preached the gospel, and that landed them in prison, to be arrested. So, how are they now going to respond? Right? As a result of that bad first response to the gospel, those religious leaders, they arrested Peter and John. It says in chapter 4 of Acts that on the next day, the religious leaders, they brought them in front of the high priests and they demanded answers concerning the healing of the man and the teaching that they spoke of concerning Jesus. So, what will the apostles' first response to this be? Will they give a different message now than the one they gave originally to the crowds, now that they're being threatened, right, intimidated? Well, the answer is that their first response to threats and adversity was to faithfully obey, trusting in God alone. They did not change their message at all. In front of the religious leaders, no doubt an intimidating event, they said things like, Jesus, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. They also said, 
there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. See, as a result to this response of faithfulness and boldness, the leaders themselves are astounded. The, the priests and the rulers, they could not deny that a miracle had taken place because the, the man who was healed was right there for them to see. And so they released Peter and John, but not without a warning, okay? They said, we'll let them go, but we order you not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So this is, this is a continuation of threats and adversity. They were first arrested, uh, and the apostles' first response was faithfulness and boldness, and now they're being they're going to be released, but not without further threatening, all right? Don't speak anymore in this name, or else, basically, right? Well, I believe we see one of the best responses given to this command. This is how the apostles respond to this. They said, with, gentle, with, with grace and gentleness, they said, listen, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I, I love this response. I pray that, that I would have such an attitude as this. The apostles, they couldn't help themselves but speak of what God had done for them in Christ Jesus. Listen, don't, don't mistake this for an attitude of defiance to, you know, the, the rulers they weren't being arrogant, but rather, it, it's out of love and loyalty to God above any man. This is not what, a shaking of the fist saying, well, you know, we're going to do it anyways. No, this, this was an attitude of respect for authority, but ultimately an unwavering loyalty to God, trusting in Him. And remember, this is in response to, to threats. And even after the apostles give this response, the leaders release them, but not after threatening them again. Verse 21 says, And when they had further threatened them, they let them go. Now we're not told specifically what the threats were, but we can deduce from other passages of Scripture that most likely the apostles' lives were in danger. Their lives were at stake. So the question for us to consider is, is what would our first response be to threats? to adversity? Will we compromise the message under intimidation? Will, will we choose to obey man rather than God when we are threatened? Will we have a, a wrong attitude of defiance? We'll show you. We're going to do it anyways. Or will we be faithful regardless of the cost and threat? Will we have both an attitude of, of gentleness and respect as well as boldness and unwavering devotion to God. That's a, that's a, that's a difficult tension, a difficult balance. Let me know if you, if you learn how to do that well. It might cost you your job. It might cost you some friends, or perhaps one day even your life. But do not fear those who can take away such things. Fear the one who holds all things in his hand, the author of life who created heaven and earth. 500 years ago, Martin Luther took a bold stance. 
and would appeal to the scriptures alone as his measure of authority. And he preached a message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the religious leaders at his time did not respond well. And they brought him before a council to, to take back what he had said and wrote and, and about it and teach no more of such nonsense. Martin Luther was facing similar intimidation and threats to his life. And he gave a similar answer to Peter and John. Luther's conscience was held captive by the word of God. He couldn't help but teach and speak and write of what he knew to be true according to God's word. But when the time comes, what will our response be? What will your response be? Well, there's one final first response that, that I'd like us to look at and consider in this text. And that is, what is the, ref- the first response to hearing bad news or, or difficult news? You see, you see, this is where the friends of Peter and John are reunited with them after they were released the first time, after, you know, hearing of what had happened, right? So, so what will the first response be to hearing of such news of threats that, that came from Peter and John? Peter and John are filling them in, saying, you know, we were arrested, they threatened us. And, and so will these friends panic and, and shrink back in fear, or will they follow the example of the apostles? And will their responses be of faithfulness and boldness? Well, listen, their immediate response to such bad news is prayer. Not worry, not thinking and and, and formulating a plan to avoid getting caught again, but prayer. And just as important as it is for us to see that they do pray, it's how they pray, what they pray for. They don't pray for deliverance from adversity. They don't pray for a way out or even that the adversity and and those giving the threats would get what they deserve. Listen to how they pray instead. Once again, and this is is what we opened our our passage of Scripture with uh, earlier. This is how they pray. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and this is quoting from Psalm 2, which we've heard and sung about already. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord's anointed. Excuse me. For truly in this city... There were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Wow. That's some prayer. Now, it, it would be wise for us to highlight some of the things that we see in this prayer so that we too can, can learn to pray in such a way. The first thing we see, and we should notice, is how God is addressed in this prayer. He says, Sovereign Lord. 
just after hearing threats and, and being attacked and being in, falsely imprisoned for, for preaching the gospel. Sovereign Lord. You see, even in the midst of difficult circumstances and, and real and potential threats to the ministry of his kingdom, he is by no means out of control. He made the heavens and the earth and everything in them. Is anything too difficult for God? One thing that, that we need to be convinced of from this passage and passages like this is that even in the midst of, of real threats to the advancement of the gospel, our God is sovereign. And nothing can thwart his plan. You see, he's so in control that he ordains and uses all things to his end, even those threats themselves. We're reminded that even in the midst of threats, that we serve a big God. Secondly, we learn of Jesus and his role as a suffering servant. Within their prayer, uh, they are, in a sense, giving the greatest example of God's sovereignty. And they're going to move from the greater to the lesser to make a point concerning their own trials. In their prayer, uh, they are identifying their trials and sufferings with the sufferings of Jesus. They're saying, if Christ, the Lord's anointed, suffered at the hands of leaders, so too will we. Pray, praise his name. And we see concerning those threats to Jesus' life and eventually the carrying out of those threats to the point of death, the sovereignty of God the Father over all things. The very threats and even the death of Jesus was part of God's predestined plan. These words of the prayer should not shock us, although they, they may initially uh, be difficult to understand if you've never um, thought much or heard much about God's sovereignty. But the intention is not to shock, but rather give great comfort and confidence in God. That he has a plan and nothing, not even, not even the death of Christ can thwart his plan because it is his plan. That through the death of his son, life would be found in him. Nothing could have prevented the death of his son because that was God's predestined intention before the world began. It's truly mind-blowing and amazing uh, to, to think about that. That Jesus' life, it was not taken from him. Rather, he lays down his own life. He said this in John chapter 10, no one takes his, my life from me. I willingly, I lay it down. And this was the will of the Father. Last week, many churches observed Good Friday uh, a time where we consider the, the sufferings of Christ, oftentimes pointing to such sufferings being prophesied about, right? And what does Isaiah say about such sufferings that Christ endured? Isaiah 53.10 says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And so at no point in the threats, in the sufferings, or in the death of Jesus was the Father not in control. Everything happened according to the predestined plan of God. Is what these believers are clarifying in this prayer. And it's at this point 
that those who are praying, they use this perspective and knowledge of God's sovereignty concerning the death of his son to now view their current circumstances and the threats that, that their lives, that they are receiving. Moving from the greater to the lesser. If God is sovereign in the greatest example of adversity, listen, if God is sovereign in the greatest example of adversity, is he not in control of what takes place to us? Now that is truth that we can rest on. If he is not in control, listen, if God is not in control of of such threats and adversity, what hope do we have? Where can we turn to? And here's the kicker. Here's the part that, that makes it real. We must keep God's end in view when evil is done to us. We have to keep God's end and his purposes and his plan in mind when evil is done to us. Because if we only focus on the evil intent of what others do to us, we'll grow bitter, angry, miserable. Think about Joseph in the Old Testament. If Joseph um, had, had only thought about what his brothers had done to him, leaving him for dead, selling him as a slave, if Joseph would have only thought and been consumed with those thoughts, he would have been ruined. But instead, he knew that while his brothers meant that for evil, God, he had God's end in view. God meant it for good. And in the case of our Lord Jesus, think about it. You had four different uh, groups mentioned, all with probably different evil intentions for why they wanted to destroy Jesus. You had Herod, Pontius Pilate, right? The Gentiles, the, the, the Jewish leaders. According to the perfectly ordained plan of God, he would bring out the greatest good for those who will be saved through his death on the cross. And it ultimately brings God the most glory. You see, if, if we have God's end in view, we can know that even the evil done to us is ultimately for our, God, for, for our good. God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God, brothers and sisters, has promised to conform his people into the image of his son Jesus. And one of the primary ways he does that is through adversity, through, through trials. So ask yourself, When you are experiencing difficult circumstances and trials, how is God shaping me? How is he making me more like Jesus through this trial? You see, these these friends of Peter and John, they have the right view in mind. They understand what took place with Jesus and that God is sovereign over all. And so now, now they can properly understand their own trials and the evil that's being done to them. And so they pray in verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Notice, notice that they they don't pray and ask to be removed from those threats or try to avoid them, but rather... Listen carefully. They desire to do the very same thing which caused those threats to occur in the first place. They truly want nothing more than to please God rather than man. 
And that's evident by the fact they de- that they desire to continue to speak his word with all boldness, even if it means being threatened or being arrested or even if their lives are at stake, if, if it leads to death. So what about us? Those are hard questions to ask, right? What will your first response be? If you go to the Lord in prayer, what do you pray for? Will you pray for a, a way out or to avoid those threats and circumstances? Or will you pray to gain confidence in God's sovereignty? To pray for boldness and not to shrink back in fear? Here's another question to ponder. What happens when we pray in such a way? When we do pray like the disciples and the apostles prayed, what happens? What are the results of uh, those first responses uh, to preach the gospel, to be unwavering, trusting in God, uh, to be a people of, of prayer who are confident in God's sovereignty and seek to be a bold uh, light in the world for Christ. What happens when God's people pray in such a way? What results? Well, look at verse 31 of Acts chapter 4. It gives us a, a, a great promising hope what takes place when God's people respond in faith. We, we didn't read this at the beginning, but I stopped just short of that before that because I wanted us to see the contrast. I want to see what happens when God's people pray in such a way. It says, and when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I just love how the intentions of those who sought to silence them in verse 17, it had the exact opposite outcome in verse 31. When, when, when those religious leaders, when they said, in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. When they said that, God said, I'm going to fill you with my spirit and you will continue to be a bold witness for me. And take a, take a Take a wild guess at what happens again in chapter 5 of Acts. In Acts chapter 5, they, were, they, they arrested the apostles again. Okay? So they're continuing to, to, to speak, even after threats, and they arrest the apostles again. They are then brought before the council again. And the council says, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. The apostles then responded to the council, we must obey God rather than man. And then guess what happens? The same thing that happened before. It says in verse 40 that when they called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. So what do we think is going to happen next? What, what will be their response to these threats again? What do you think happens? The very next verse says, Then they left the apostles, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. It's amazing. Oh, that we 
would respond in such a way as those first disciples did. Counting themselves worthy to suffer for Christ. I know that, I know that many of our brothers and sisters living in other countries, uh, this is a reality for them. They live uh, in, in constant persecution and threats. But what about us here in America? What about the church in America? Will we shrink back in fear or will we speak the word of truth with boldness? Are, are we doing it now when we aren't being all that threatened? I believe it's only going to get worse. May our first responses be, be gracious and gentle, but bold, confident in the truth of God. No matter what your circumstances, I pray that you would have um, a view looking at God's sovereignty concerning his, his beloved son. And then take that to your own circumstance. Say, God, help me have a proper view. Help me to see your end, what you are doing. I can't always see it right now. But God, give me your perspective so that, my, so that my first response to these similar situations might honor you. We need training in that. I need conditioning to do that. That's why we're here. That's why we gather every Lord's Day to be prepared to sent, be sent out. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, but I know, I know that my natural response is often very different than those first disciples and the apostles, men like Martin Luther, and I, I don't know how I would respond. So Lord, I pray that I would be prepared, that I would see um, situations like this that were recorded for our instruction so that we would not shrink back in fear. Lord, we're so grateful that you gave us an account of what those first disciples did, the, the apostles who um, preached with boldness. And because of that, persecution and threats did not put an end to it, but it only further led to the spread of your kingdom. Taking the gospel from Jerusalem to Samaria, to Judea, Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the world. God, that's our desire, that that this church, that all the, the churches in this, this wonderful city of Ripon would pro proclaim your truth with boldness and be a light to not only the people here, but even as we, we send out teams and missionaries and support missionaries to, to proclaim your gospel, Lord, that you would do what only you can do, Lord, which is open eyes to the truth, Lord, that people would respond in repentance and faith, that new life would be granted through your Son, Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.